Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to do another podcast about reading, or the fundamentals of reading. It's so important. Everything starts with reading. And uh, 1931, the uh, bad boys in charge of our schools got rid of phonics literally overnight, probably the course of 1931-32. Uh, That's 90 years they have been attacking the very foundation of everything. And it's important that everybody really th learn how to think about it themselves. Why do you need phonics? Or better yet, why is our sight words the, a disease, a fraud? It's the end of literacy if you tell children to memorize sight words. And that's what I will prove today. Now, sight words are also known as hold word, look say, sight reading, hold language. Balance, literacy, high-frequency words, dolce words, a whole bunch of things. Because they're criminals, and criminals always have aliases. Now, the basic fundamental split is that phonics says that children must learn that letters stand for sounds. Phonics is just the Greek word, or phonos, or some, those, that kind of word, phonetics. just means sounds. On the other hand, whole word dictates that children memorize word shapes. Sounding out letters is not allowed. And it's very important to, to think about this. Just think of any shape. Uh, throw some pickup sticks on the ground. Three or four sticks on the ground. Now, copy that shape on a piece of paper, you know, approximately, and then assign a meaning to it. It means house. Then throw some more sticks. Generate another thing. Assign a meaning to it. It means wife or mother. and then as many things as you want. And I submit to you that if you start trying to memorize those diagrams you've just created, you will realize that you are up against a mountain, Sisyphus, where you're climbing that mountain forever, but you never get there. Because as fast as children reach a couple hundred, the new words start to blot out the earlier words. So they always stay illiterate. So for me, investigating the reading wars has really been an unsettling journey because as fast as you look at the topic, you learn, um, the, you know, the competing claims and theories and propaganda. It's very disorienting. But let's say that you, like me, decide that phonics has a better case, that in fact Rudolf Flesch got it right back in 1955 when he wrote the famous book, Why Johnny Can't Read. Then you drift into more ethical considerations. If you have 40 million functional illiterates, uh, maybe 50 million, and an ugly a epidemic called dyslexia, you start to think, well, this is shocking. What's going on here? How could this happen? Which causes you to go back and review the evidence yet again. Bottom line, each time I went through this cycle, I became more and more convinced that old word is totally fraudulent. It does not work. There's nothing good about it. It's dangerous. And our educator people at the top, I never talk about teachers, the people at the top had to know this from the start. I think it's fair to say that whole word is a form of child abuse. Increasingly I became obsessed with figuring out motives. What kind of ideologues would inflict this kind of damage on millions of children? Almost comically, this evil crusade was conducted under the banner of open quote, progressive education, close quote. I think it's more accurate to call this program regressive and repressive. 
The goal is to create a simpler kind of citizen, less informed, less literate, less able to think for themselves, less capable of self-government. That's the key thing. The goal was dumbing down, not smartening up. John Dewey and his gang got the ball rolling a century ago. It's still rolling. Now, I want to mention just some of the technical points that I think some people will find particularly interesting. Now, the, uh, as part of my research, or anybody's research, you could read Reading Without Nonsense. It's probably the most famous book in the Reading Wars by a, Professor Frank Smith. Now, you can go to Amazon and her Reading Without Nonsense, three words, and I have a review called Reading Nonsense. I said, the whole book is nonsense. Now, Smith is the main apologist for sight words. He throws around airy statements of, as, as if, like, up is down, as though, oh, yeah, everybody knows that. But here's the thing. He made the mistake, at least in my case, of at one point being quite specific and saying something that could not be true. He casually mentions children memorizing 50,000 sight words. He says children will memorize all these sight words as easily as they memorize new faces. Does that sound appealing to you? Persuasive? Well, now try to imagine the usual three or four phases. Yeah, you might do that. But what if it's 55 phases? What if it's 386 phases? You're not going to master all those phases. In fact, one of the easiest ways to check the, how impossible sight words are is if you took uh, 100 photographs of all, your of all your most favorite people, the Pope and Clint Eastwood and Marilyn Monroe, it doesn't matter. And then you have somebody flash those things at you. And you will find that you get most of them instantly. And this is just your top hundred. But there's, there's somewhere where you're going to be going, uh, 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 you know, he was in that movie, uh, 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 Clint Eastwood, and you're going to get it. But if you can't read that thing in a, por a portion of a second, you can't read reading speed. Reading speed is amazingly fast. Sight words are amazingly slow. We have got millions of people in this country who think they know how to read, but they hate it and they won't read books, and that's how you know. It's very difficult. Okay, now let's look at the English language. It has lowercase and, and uppercase. People think that what we're doing is like the same way the Chinese learn their ideograms. No, it's, it's very different. Lowercase and uppercase alphabets, and so if you had the word teachers written all lowercase and then you put it over into uppercase, it's like they'd have to be persuaded it's the same language. And if you really want to convince yourself, just look at, say, the letter E. A capital E has three arms sticking out to the right side, right? It's a big chunky thing. Now look at a lowercase e. It's a little loop. No straight, no straight line sticking out to left or right. It's not bulky. It's a little loop, very delicate, and that's all it is. How could that, those two things be the same? In graphics, in graphic design, small differences make a huge amount of difference. Another thing about uh, ideograms is they c they contain picture elements because all symbol languages start with pictures. A picture, a house will there will be some kind of abstract shape, a rectangle standing on its end. That'll be of the word for house. And this design of this sight word or sight design is. Um, repeated in many different situations. That's the way the Chinese keep from having endless thousands and thousands of words. A simple example is paper, which they love, and it's a part of Chinese history, the use of paper, and tiger, which is their favorite animal. But you put paper and tiger next, and you mean a weak person or a weak group.
Ah, oh, they're a paper tiger. See? You didn't add anything extra. You already know those things. But you still got to learn the paper and the tiger to begin with. So those picture elements uh, appear over and over. The one for woman, for example, is in many Chinese things. So the English alphabet is lean and efficient when used phonetically. Boom, you get it instantly. But used idiogrammatically, like in uh, sight words, it's hopeless. There's just too many shapes, too many variations. Now, reading uh, Mr. Or Professor Frank Smith made me really focus on how insanely difficult whole word is for children. There's a vast quantity of words in English language. You count them all up, the chemicals, words, and the names. and It's way more than a million now. A phonics reader doesn't know all those words, but you can sound them all out, and boom. Oh, that's uh, ibuprofen. Oh, ibuprofen, that's the stuff that's in the medicine, right? Yeah, ibuprofen, yeah. Boom, your brain tells you you know that. But if you had to memorize any of those chemical things, you'd be, you, you'd be basically at the college level of trying to master organic chemistry. I saw it when I was in college. I saw the pre-med students, are the ones going to be pre-med students, memorizing flashcards. The whole course depended on memorizing the 100 to 200 organic chemistry formulas. Wow. That persuaded me I didn't want to stay in pre-med. So you see, to get up to um, even 20,000 is a huge thing. Only the smartest kids can do that. But Frank Smith in his book says, oh, they can do 50,000. In fact, even one place, he even says 50 to 100,000. But here's what sabotaged it for me. I remember reading year, years ago that 20,000 was the limit for even the smartest Chinese people, the upper limit, the scholars, the guys with the super memories that were going to be, you know, dictating culture for the next rest of their lives. These people could master 20,000 ideograms. Well, 20,000, obviously, that's not even, there's not even 1% can do it. It's a fraction of 1%. PhD level intelligence, whatever that is, it's way less than 1%. Those are the people you look at and say, can any of these people memorize 20,000? Well, you're still going to have to hunt. But if you're talking college level, 10,000 would be a great deal. In, in, in China, let's say, and, and apparently the people, the workaday people are four, five, six, seven thousand. It's considered a perfectly adequate vocabulary. And the thing is, here's a, here's a, it's really funny if you stop and think about it. Our education establishment hates memorization. They hate it. But how do you think these Chinese students memorize their language? They do it with flashcards. They do it with endless calligraphy copying, copying, printing, printing, drawing, drawing over and over and over again until they can do each ideogram exactly the way they're supposed to. And in the process, they're memorizing it. Boys, and our bad boys call that drill and kill, and they absolutely forbid it. So I'm satisfied Frank Smith is just a sophist and a fraud, and I just would like to urge you if, if, depending on what kind of class you have and what kind of students, you should alert them to the dangers of trying to memorize sight words. And if a kid has gotten up to your level, whatever you're teaching, or you're a parent, you try to stop the whole thing in the, in the kindergarten. You nip it in the bud. You don't let them memorize sight words. They're not going to get anywhere. English is an interesting language that can be read easily, phonetically, because you master it as there's only 26 letters. And even with the double alphabet, so you got 52. But you don't need them, even those that read. You, if you learn the 10 of 15 main consonants, 
You're amazed how much you can read. That's why little kids in the first grade can print out weird messages, just, you know, primitive. You can actually start expressing yourself in kind of proto-phonics. But with sight words, they're memorizing the second, third, fourth, fifth grade, these random list of words. You can't write a sentence. You can't read a sentence. You can't read the paper. You can't know any proper names because they don't teach those as sight words. But, of course, that's the only way a sight word reader can read. So, ladies and gentlemen, sight word is a, is a poison, sort of... Um, What's that? Fluoride is stuff that the Germans and the Russians were said to put in their prisoners' uh, water in order to keep them docile for purposes. And what they do with sight words is exactly parallel to that. The more you memorize, the worse off you are. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Overview. Let's Fix Education explores seven of my favorite themes. First, this podcast is a meditation on what I call the K-12 crime scene. So many destructive ideas. Understanding them is the key to fixing them. Two, by doing that we will have better schools at less cost. Three, nothing much changes decade to decade. The big questions of the 1930s were the big questions of the 1960s and the 1990s. Any subject we discuss can easily intersect with any other subject. Most people instinctively want traditional education, but the education establishment fills classrooms with progressive gimmicks. The result is that we have a standoff, and that's why you run into the same ideas over and over. Four, the big brains in education keep telling students, don't bother memorizing this or that. You can look it up later. B.B. King, comma, the great guitarist, is much smarter. He said, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. Five, Lenin's ghost wanders through our school system. The hard left thinks big. If they have to kill millions of people to build their perfect society, that's okay. Same goes for dumbing down millions of students. Totalitarians want power. They will do anything to get it. Six, if we are going to survive, we have to take each child to his or her limit. As it is, we are creating millions of subeducated students from K right through college. Seven, analyzing education, especially dysfunctional education, is a lot more intellectually interesting than most people suppose. You'll enjoy this. Finally, P.S. My book, Saving K-12, runs parallel to everything discussed on this podcast. I also have an education site, improve-education.org, with 70 articles that complement everything discussed here. And I have hundreds of articles on the Internet. Enter a topic in Google with my full name, Bruce Dietrich Price, and let Google make suggestions. Thank you for visiting.